Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates a loving God's intolerance for sin. Notice God declared an eternal principle about sin. And the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. People say, well, can your name be blot out? If God just said he could, he will blot it out. Okay? God will blot out the name of those who sin against God out of his book. God will forgive the person who repents. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. This is the bleak message God had for the prophet Jeremiah after being fed up with the nation of Judah's worship of the false god Baal. But it wasn't the first time the Israelites forced God's hand in this way. In fact, today, Pastor Xavier turns back to the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus in today's Simple Truth Study, where the sin of idol worship roused God's anger at the foot of Mount Sinai. Let's listen. As you know, God scattered the people throughout the earth because of the idolatrous worship of the Tower of Babel under divine judgment, having God's record of how he abhors idolatry. And I I don't think it should be any surprise as we see great civilizations like the Aztecs, the Incas, and the Mayas disappeared without knowledge. We don't even know many things. I believe it's God's judgment because of their horrible, idolatrous lifestyle and, and, and violent lifestyles that overtook them. I mean, it's, it's, it's registered throughout the scriptures. God wants us to confront the people of God who get caught up in sin again, be it idolatry or anything else. The spiritually mature are to restore the ones who are overtaken in the fault or the trespass in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we forget that we are also can be tempted and fall, Galatians 6 1 says. So humility is important. But confrontation is absolute. Faithful the wounds of a friend, deceitful the kisses of the enemy. If you're a parent and you don't confront your child, you don't love your child. If you don't hold the line for your child, you don't love your child. You just don't want to be hassled. We're to cut off fellowship with sinning brothers or sisters after repeated warnings and refuses to repent. Not the non-believer. Now, if you're politically correct as a Christian, you're not going to like this, but it's okay. Listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians 5.11. Paul says, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, a Christian who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolatrous or reviler or drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. There comes a time when people do not repent that we're to cut them off. Now the world tells you not to. The world says you're a hypocrite, you're a bigot. You should be more tolerant. You're a Christian, you should be more loving, more accepting. Jack Black and all the Hollywood people just put a video, which is the most popular right now. Jack Black plays, plays as Jesus. And they ask the questions, does God say homosexuals are an abomination? And they go on, well, you know, Leviticus also says that, that eating crustacean fish is an abomination. And they go on to this whole thing. They're lucky God hasn't barbecued them. But God is very patient. But he's not stupid. When a brother or sister refuses to repent of their sins, we're to cut them off because we love them. 
Second Thessalonians 3.14, Paul says, and if any one of you does not obey our words in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. We're not talking about self-righteousness. We're not talking about being critical. We're not being, talking about being policemen. We're talking about being a family who loves one another. You understand? When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you know what a hassle they were to him. They were like spiritual teenagers. 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 15 says, Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you. I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children are not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. You know anything about this as a parent? You better know some of this as a Christian. God does chasten his children and judges those who depart from the faith. Let me give you some text on that. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 through 32, Paul says, But let a man examine himself, and so let us eat and the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in the unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body for this reason. Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, meaning died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. He's talking to Christians. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, we as Christians. He's not talking to pagans. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now here's the application from the lesser to the greater. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord Yahweh will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's talking to Christians. The anger of God with the idolatrous people at the foot of Mount Sinai was justified. Notice the third and last movement in 15 through 35. The judgment on the idolatrous people at the foot of Mount Sinai. Verses 15 through 20, you have the dissension of Moses to the camp. In 15 and 16, Moses turned with the Ten Commandments. He went down from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, the ten words that we've studied in depth. The tablets were written on both sides, we are told, inscribed with the finger of God, Exodus 31, 18 and 34, 28. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on tablets of stone, verse 16. Do you understand how many ways God says it's his writing? It's his law? People say, oh, well, men just wrote the Bible. Listen to me. I picked up a pen and wrote my, wrote my notes, but I'm the author, not the pen. Men were moved, carried along by the Spirit of God, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. The Scriptures are inspired, breathed out of God, 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Inerrant, infallible. And if you don't believe that, then you're not a Christian. You can't be a Christian. You're deceiving yourself. This is God's Word. This is His authority. Look at 17. Moses met up with Joshua on the way down 
the mountain. Joshua had been left at a lower altitude of the mountain waiting for Moses to return. We find this in Exodus 24, 13 through 18. And Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. And Joshua thought the people had been attacked and tells Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But Moses, knowing better, corrects Aaron's suspicions. It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. But it was a singing to these gods. And so in 19 and 20, Moses displayed his displeasure of the people's apostasy. In 19, immediately as Moses and Aaron came near the camp, they saw the calf and the dancing. The sight of an idol was betrayal to Yahweh who delivered them. The sight of dancing and lewd sexual rites was an abomination. So Moses' anger became hot. He cast the tablets out of his hands, breaking them at the foot of the mountain. Moses, the prophet of God, became incensed at that sight as it should incense us with different things. Righteous anger. Moses revealed the people had broken the Ten Commandments before him. He had even brought them down by casting them down and breaking them. Notice in verse 20, Moses took the calf, burned it with fire, grounded it in powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Reducing their God to nothing, making them one with their God by drinking the liquid. Quite a picture. Now the confrontation of Aaron by Moses comes next, verse 21 through 24. In 21, Moses asked Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Underline, so great a sin. Moses confronted Aaron because he was left in charge of the people, yet he let the people take charge. Simple. 24, 14, he was left in charge. Moses accused Aaron of being responsible for bringing this great sin on the people, indicating severity. It has been pointed out that Exodus 32 through 34 has 11 references to sin, while Exodus 1 to 31 has only 10 appearances. Amazing. Let me tell you something. When sin comes in, it comes in groves. It's a bumper harvest, and it disrupts fellowship with God. Aaron responded in 22, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Aaron was justifying himself and was blaming the people. That's usually the way we go. Aaron recounted the series of events to Moses, thinking that this is going to persuade him. He said the people told him to make them gods to go before them in verse 23. And he gave the people's rationale. They could not find Moses, who brought him out of Egypt, so they did not know what to become of him. And Aaron then told Moses how the calf came to be in 24. This is the climax. Get ready for it. He said that he told the people to tear off the gold they possessed. He said they gave it to him, and then he cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. This is Aaron, the brother of Moses, the high priest. Don't, don't think that you're beyond anything, ladies and gentlemen. 
He shaped it with an engraving tool, verse 4 told us. Moses gives the commentary on this event to the second generation in Deuteronomy 9.20. He said that God was going to kill Aaron, but he made intercession for him. Notice now the execution of the idolatrous people in 25 through 29. Moses saw the people that they were unrestrained, which means that they were out of control in their sexual activities without shame, as we've seen our society today. It's flaunted. It's jammed in your face. The reason being Aaron had not restrained them, emphasizing he was the primary culprit. Now notice at the end of 25, the result being their shame was revealed among their enemies. The people of the land knew Yahweh was holy. And they're looking at the people say, what's wrong with this picture? As it is when there's a Christian in a bar witnessing to the guy who's chuggling down a bud. And he says, well, if you're a Christian, what are you doing here? What a contradiction to our lives. Look at 26 to 28. Moses called for those who wanted to follow Yahweh to cleanse the camp. Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's Yahweh's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. They would give opportunity now for those involved in the apostasy to repent and return to the Lord. God always gives an opportunity for repentance before he brings judgment. How long? We don't always know. But he at least gives one chance. And so Moses calls for the slain of the idolaters in verse 27. Moses said, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, God Elohim of Israel. It was Yahweh's authority, not his. Please get this right. Moses is, this isn't Moses' vindictiveness. This is God's command. Moses commanded the execution of the idolaters by the sword throughout the camp. You remember in Ezekiel 9, 1 through 11, God sent a man with white linen and inkwell and marked the foreheads of those who, who were grieved over the idolatry and everything was going on. And then he slew everybody who didn't have the mark. In the Great Tribulation, it'll be just a diverse. Those that have the mark, they get spared because they follow the Antichrist. Those who don't take the mark, they're the ones that are beheaded by the Antichrist. Just the reverse. Now the sons of Levi in 28 were the instruments of judgment. According to the words of Moses, about 3,000 people fell that day. When sin's there, 3,000 died. When the salvation of the gospel is proclaimed, 3,000 were added on the day of Pentecost. Sin kills. The word of God saves. The tribe of Levi would be the priestly tribe. They were to expiate sin from the camp. Look at 29. Moses sanctified the camp again. He called for the people to consecrate themselves to the Lord Yahweh that very day, and the reason being that God would bless them in their faithfulness to Yahweh, every man having opposed his son and his brother. Difficult, but necessary. If you as a parent respect your son and your daughter who lives in sin under your roof without doing something, you're wrong. And it's really against God. Look at 30 through 35. The intercession of Moses for the idolatrous people at Mount Sinai. In verse 30, Moses on the next day reminded the people they had committed a great sin and that he would go up to the Lord Yahweh. Perhaps he could make atonement for their sin. 
They broke the book of the covenant. They vowed to obey in 24, 3 through 8. The covenant would be renewed as Moses would ascend to God with two more tablets of stone. We'll get that in chapter 34. And in 31, Moses ascended to the Lord Yahweh, confessing their sin. All these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Moses interceded for forgiveness. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Once again, we must think through our theology. If this prayer is not sourced in Yahweh, in God, then we must conclude that Moses is more loving, more compassionate than God, which cannot be. So once again, since Moses is not more compassionate and more loving than God, then we must conclude that God is working through Moses to make this intercession for the people. Notice in 33, God declared an eternal principle about sin. Make sure you don't miss it. And the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. People say, well, can your name be blot out? God just said he, can, he will blot it out. Okay? God will forgive the person who repents. God will blot out the name of those who sin against God out of his book. Psalm 69, 28, Revelation 3, 5, Revelation 22, 19, and many other passages, the book of life. The possibility of this is affirmed by Moses mentioning it and God affirming it. Now notice 34 and 35. God commanded Moses to continue to lead the faithful and repentant people, but he would bring judgment on the guilty. Make sure you don't miss this. Verse 34, Yahweh would keep his promise. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken you. And Yahweh would send his son, the Lord Jesus, a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament prior to the incarnation. Behold, my angel shall go before you. The angel here or the angel of the Lord is always Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And Yahweh would not clear the guilty. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. And so in 35, Yahweh poured out his judgment. So the Lord Yahweh plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Luke gives us an account of the ministry of Jesus. In chapter 13, verse 1 through 5, it says, There were present at the season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that those Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffer such things? I tell you, Jesus says, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Real simple. Those are the words of Jesus. The one who repents is forgiven. The one who does not is judged. The sin doesn't matter. You understand? The genuineness of repentance is by acknowledging one's sin, confessing one's sin, abandoning one's sin. And if 
possible and necessary, making restitution of one's sin. It's not always possible. Zacchaeus told Jesus in Luke 19, 8, he stood and he said, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And as you know, Jesus says today, salvation has come to the Jew. <laughs> the judgment of sin is often twofold in life. There is the natural consequence that grows out of our sin. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Natural consequences. But secondly, there's the supernatural consequences that God at times brings forth. Acts 12, verse 22 and 23, it says, So on that day Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Sometimes God steps in, not just natural consequences. The intercession for those who fail in sin or just weaken the faith is never a question. We pray for them. We pray for each other. James tells us, in James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In fact, John the Beloved says intercession at times is allowed by God, at other times it is not because the line's been crossed. Listen, 1 John 5.14 and 16. Now this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. People say, well, that's a non-believer. No, it isn't. They're all Christians in 1 John. And it's always spiritual death. He never talks about physical death. Everybody's going to die physically. <laughs> God is sovereign. I'm to pray. Paul gives a general exhortation in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Wow. The judgment on the idolatrous people at the foot of Mount Sinai was just. Absolutely just. As Moses was up on the mountain, Sinai with God, the people turned to worship the golden calf, which has unfolded for us here in these three movements. The idolatry of the people at the foot of Mount Sinai was treacherous. Make no mistake of that. The anger of God with the adulterous people at the foot of Mount Sinai was justified. That is very, very clear. And the judgment on the adulterous people at the foot of Mount Sinai was just. He's holy. His judgment is perfect. What an interesting section that interrupted the fellowship with God. Treacherous idolatry 
warranting God's justified anger and just judgment. Pastor Xavier Reese using the example of the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai to illustrate God's intolerance for those who tolerate idolatry. Now, just before we close, let me quickly mention that copies of today's study titled The Apostasy at Sinai are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, the title to ask for once more is The Apostasy at Sinai, or you can mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com